Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here. And if you're here for the first time, we want you to know we exist as a church to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world, one person at a time. And we are so glad you're here. If you're here for the first time or I'm watching online, we're in this series called Anchors in the Storm. And before we get to the last message of this four-message series, I, I want to say thank you to those of you who have been praying for my family, uh, our family, uh, during this past uh, 10 days or so. Uh, if you don't know, my brother Tom's wife, Cheryl, passed away um, last Saturday. And so... Tom and Cheryl were not just brother and sister-in-law to me. Tom's 14 years older than I am. Cheryl's 16. So uh, they were like a second dad and mom to me. And I spent most of my summers out in Dover, Ohio, where they lived. And so when Tom called a, a couple weeks ago, or 10 days ago, I guess it was on Thursday, and told me that Cheryl had a stroke, uh, that I was, you know, I was upset. And I went out and, and we, uh, we spent the last time with Cheryl Thursday, Friday, and she passed away on Saturday. Um, but you all have been very helpful. And uh, one of the things that I always remember uh, when I go through grief and loss is the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 4 where he said, we don't grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. He doesn't say we don't grieve, period. Because I've had people, Christians, say, you shouldn't be upset whenever somebody you love dies. Well, I am upset that Cheryl's gone. I'm happy for her. Uh, and, and, and that's why I don't grieve like the rest of people who have no hope because I know where Cheryl is and I know that one day that I will get to see her. Um, and Tom knows that as well, my brother Tom. But I would ask you to continue to keep Tom and Lee, his daughter, in prayer uh, during this transition. And it's going to be an adjustment that's permanent in this life until we get to see uh, Jesus and, and Cheryl and all the rest of our loved ones who have gone before them in faith. Uh, so thank you. Now, uh, to close out this series uh, called Anchors in the Storm, we're, I'm going to ask a few questions. And the first one is this. The question is, have you ever been in love? Here's the next question. Don't you just love pizza? And, and uh, how about this one? Does love really mean never having to say you're sorry? Or did the Beatles have it right when they said, love is all you need, all you need is love? Okay, so the reason I'm asking that is we're going to focus on love today. And dictionary.com has 22 definitions for the word love, and not one of them is the biblical meaning of the word. Now, during this series, we started off on Easter Day talking about the anchor, the most important anchor for our lives is the anchor of Jesus' resurrection. In fact, Pastor Brad, in his message last week, summarizing it, said it's the aircraft, aircraft carrier anchor. It's the mass, most massive anchor that keeps us in all the trials and tests and tribulations that we go through and temptation we go through in life. Um, but there are three other anchors that we've been talking about. We've already talked about the first two, faith and hope. And today we'll talk about love. And those three anchors, when they're in our lives, what we have said is when we live our lives in faith, hope, and love, our lives become attractive to those around us. But if we're going to become attractive to those around us because we're living in faith, hope, and love, we need to define love the way it's defined in the Bible, specifically the way it's defined as we're using it here today. So in Jesus' day, Jesus spoke Aramaic, most likely. The people in Israel at the time spoke Aramaic. But when they wrote stuff down that was going to be transmitted to others, usually the language was used was Greek. That's because in that day, even though it was a Roman culture by then, um, the Greek language had permeated the culture. And so there are four different words the Greeks used for the one word that we translate love. And so in order to understand a little better what we're talking about when we say we live in faith, hope, and love, we're going to look at those four words briefly. 
and then emphasize the final one. So if you like to follow along in the outline, in the outline it tells you the four words are philios or philios. So I was corrected by a Greek person after service. Philios. Um, and then we have uh, storge, eros, or eros, I guess. And then we would have agape. Now we're going to look at each one of those. And the first one, philios, is friendship love. Philios is Brotherly love, sisterly love, affection that we have for others. And in Genesis chapter 2, when we read that there was just Adam, and God said, it is not good for the man to be alone, and he created Eve, the reason he did that was because we were created for relationship. We were created to have friends. We aren't created to live in isolation. And so the first purpose for which God created Eve was philios, or philios, friendship love. And in fact, when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples, and in particular, he took Peter aside and had a conversation with him. And you might know that Peter, the night before Jesus was crucified, had stood up in the group and said, I will never deny you or forsake you. I'll go to prison and even death. But then, of course, he did deny Jesus three times. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, Peter and Jesus have this conversation. And Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, and the reason Simon, not Peter, is because that's his given name. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And the word that Jesus used in asking the question was agape. That's the fourth kind of love, the most important kind of love we're going to talk about in a moment. But Peter's answer was, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And the answer he gave was philios. You know I filios you. I have friendship for you. I have affection for you. I feel strongly for you. And so Jesus says again, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he says, yes, Lord, I filios you. And so the third time Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you filios me? Do you have affection for me? And Simon says, you know everything. You know I love you. You know I have philios for you. So Jesus settles for philios, not agape. And we're going to talk more about that at the end of the message, but I, I want you to have that conversation in your mind. So then the second kind of love is storge, which is instinctive love. It's the kind of love that a mother human has for her baby or a mother animal has for her offspring. So you don't have to teach a mother when she has a baby to kiss the baby, to hold the baby, to caress the baby. It's natural. Philios is natural, and storge is natural. Now, of course, storge uh, can be absent in both a human being and in, a, in an animal, but it's natural that it's there. And philios is natural to be with us because if we don't have friends, in fact, this, these studies have been done over the centuries in orphanages where little babies are born and they're not you know, hugged and caressed and loved and given that motherly love, which actually is also an affection, so it could be philios too. When they don't get that, they die. So these kind of love are very important, but all these kinds of loves are selfish. Philios is selfish. We need it in order to live, so it's sort of selfish. Um, we have to have it. And storge is selfish in that it's directed at the, the baby only and, and back towards oneself because the mother feels good when she instinctively does what needs to be done for the baby. And, and, and so in these relationships, not a bad thing that we have philios, not a bad thing that we have storge. In fact, we wouldn't have life without it. And then the third one is eros. In eros, we typically, it's physical love. We typically think of it as sexual love. But really, when I said to you, do you love pizza?, and you, if you said yes, and there was somebody at first service this morning like, whoa, I mean, this is the loudest response I ever heard. Yes, they really love pizza. That's eros because it's a sensual kind of love, a physical kind of love. And, and of course, God created that too. 
I hope you realize God created Phileos, God created Storge, God created Eros. Because when God created human beings, back in Genesis 1, he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth. Now, the eros that we have that is a sexual kind of love between a man and a woman, it's, it's a natural love that God put there so that the man and woman in marriage would be attracted to each other so they would have children. Because if you're going to be fruitful and multiply, you need to have children. And so eros love often is, results in children. And God created all three kinds, philios, eros, and uh, storge. But the fourth kind of love is a love that God is, not just has, but God is, and it's a supernatural love. It's called agape. Agape is selfless love. And when we hear the verse that's probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, the word love there is agape. God's selfless love caused him to send Jesus into the world to die for us, Why did he do that? There's no logical reason for God to do that because we rejected God, so why would God come to us and give us, why would Jesus pay the penalty for our sin? There's only one explanation, it's agape. It's this selfless love, and that's what we're gonna talk about today as the final anchor for the storms that we face in life. And and so we're gonna talk about how we express agape love for our our family members, our friends, our neighbors, and people we go to school with, and even those people that we don't like very much right now. I remember when I was a little boy, I had, I had three brothers, I have two left, and my youngest brother, Ken, and I didn't like each other very much. And some days I would say that I don't like him, and my mother would say, you don't have to like him, but you do have to love him. And what she meant by that was agape. You have to show agape. You don't even have to have, you don't even have, to have friendship with him, but you do have to desire his best. So that my mother was teaching me very early on about this impossible kind of love that only comes supernaturally through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the take-home point for today focuses on where that love comes from. And here's what it says. Love is the overflow of our salvation. Love is the overflow of our salvation. Once we come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, we have this love given to us by him, and it overflows to others. In 1 John, the Apostle John wrote these words. He said, all who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love will live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. So John reminded us that God lives inside of those who confess Jesus as Lord. Now that's a very, basically a confirmation of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 10, 9 and 10, which we talked about on Easter Day, the first message in this series, when we said, if you confess with your mouth, in other words, if you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, which means owner or master, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so what John affirmed here, what the Apostle Paul already said is, when we are saved, when we have salvation, God lives inside of us. And he is love, and so that love comes out of us over time. That's what happens. As we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, our love, our agape, grows for others. And it becomes, as he says here in 1 John, more and more perfect over time. So we all have a natural need for phileos. 
and mothers have a natural tendency towards storge. And, and eros is, is a natural love that most all of us experience, if not in the sexual way, then through other kinds of senses, through taste and those kind of things. But what we don't have naturally is agape. As I've said, it's supernatural. And what we're going to do now is we're going to turn to a chapter in the Bible, often called the love chapter, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, because in that chapter, the Apostle Paul tells us what this love looks like, how it comes out of us, how we experience it, and, what the things, and some things that it is not as well. So before we uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 13, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we rejected you, you still loved us. We thank you that you satisfied your wrath against us for our sin by dying in our place, which is the ultimate expression of agape. God, we thank you today for your written word, and we pray as we go through it today, your Holy Spirit will open our minds, open our spirits, open our very souls, God, that we can not only hear the truth, but be empowered to live it out in your love today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to follow along, as I said, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to read the entire chapter. And uh, while this is often read at weddings, you may have heard it read at a wedding. It's perfectly appropriate to read it at a wedding. It's really something we should probably read quite often because it gives us the standard for how, as followers of Jesus, our lives are to, are to look and, and, and to be and exist. So Paul writes, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never lose faith, loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless or will cease. But love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So Paul tells us that we can be wonderful people, but without love, without agape, we are nothing. And he tells us three specific actions or three specific skills that would impress others if we possess them. But even those things, without love, they don't matter. So the first one he talked about was language, right? What he said was, I could speak, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. How impressive would that be if we could go anywhere in the world and just start talking to people in their language? You know, I mean, I'm 60, almost 61 years old, and I've just about mastered English. 
And, and I'm working really hard to be able to speak in Spanish. So 60, almost one years, and I have two languages. But imagine if you could go anywhere in the world and speak to everybody, and even go to heaven and speak to the angels in their language. Paul says, if we could do that, but if we didn't love the people with agape that we are speaking to, it doesn't really matter. It's just like noise. And then the next thing he talks about, three specific spiritual aspects or qualities. He's, he says, if I could, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. So imagine knowing all of God's secret plans and being able to tell people about it. Knowing everything that God knows and, and being able to take a mountain and say, move, and it would be moved wherever you want it to. That would be extremely impressive, far more impressive, I think, than just speaking the languages of the world. But Paul says, even if we can do that, if we don't have love, it really doesn't matter. And so then Paul moves to action. I mean, we all know that God created us to love him and to love others, and that loving others talks about doing things for others, caring for others, meeting other people's needs. And so do, do we really need love whenever we're doing these good works? And Paul says, of course we do. In fact, what he says is this. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So we can do good deeds every day, even amazingly good deeds, like give away everything we have to the poor. And when he says sacrifice my body, he means die for somebody else. So we could die for somebody else. But if we did those things, but we didn't have love, again, it's still nothing. Because what Paul is showing us here, once again, as he's shown us, you know, he shows us so often in his writings, is our life in Jesus Christ is not a religion. It's a relationship. Religion is what we do, how we do good deeds and don't do the bad things so that God will be pleased. And so we do more and more and more good things or we do less and less and less bad things, God will be more pleased. But what Paul is saying, it doesn't matter how good we are, how many good deeds we do, even if we give everything away. It doesn't matter unless it's based out of that relationship that we have with God. So we don't need to work harder. We don't need to be more impressive because God isn't impressed. In fact, the book of Isaiah tells us that all of our good works are nothing more than filthy rags to God. We don't need to work harder to be better. We need Jesus. And we need his Holy Spirit in our lives because only then, when God is living inside of us, as 1 John tells us, do we live in love. And that love comes out in everyday life. So the next thing Paul offers is some practical everyday expressions of love in our lives. So let's look at them one at a time. The first thing that Paul said was, love is patient and kind. Now you might be more naturally patient and kind than some people. I'm sure you're more naturally patient and kind than I am because I have no natural patience and no natural kindness. I mean, it's, my quotient is zero in both of those categories. I'm not a patient and kind person by nature. But the good news is, once we have a relationship with God in Jesus Christ, we are told by Paul in the book of Galatians chapter 5 that he gives us fruit called spiritual fruit. There are nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. The first one is love, joy, peace, and then patience and kindness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the more this relationship we have with God develops, the more that we will have these supernatural qualities and really, all of these come from the love of God, the agape of God. And so patience and kindness is something that, that not only, I, I can't develop it by working harder, 
but I can experience it by letting the power of God work in me. And that's a really good thing. I've been finding the last few weeks it's a really good thing uh, because I'm now teaching a teenager how to drive once again. Um, I thought I was done with that, but not so much. And so Teresa and I have been going out driving. And, and so uh, after the last time we drove, I knew I was going to be preaching this message. I said, Teresa, would you say that I've been exercising patience and love? And she said, yes. Glory to God, because, I mean, the one time she almost killed us, I guarantee you. I would not have been patient and, and love without the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. So the next thing it says is, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Is it me, just me, or is jealousy and pride and boastfulness and rudeness sort of like the norm in our culture? Doesn't it seem like the volume is just getting louder and louder? People are always yelling and screaming. And so when we find somebody who is humble, somebody who's polite, somebody who's calm, we're attracted by that. In fact, in this series, when I have said that when we live in faith, hope, and love, our lives become attractive to those around us, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. When the agape love of God is exuding out of our lives, and, and, and so we're not so rude and boastful and jealous and all of those things, people say, wow, I, I, I really want to be around that person. I want to be more like that. And so then the next thing we're told by Paul is, love does not demand its own way, It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Now, if you're thinking, I can't be all of those things, I can't do all of that, good news, you're right. You and I can't be all of those things. We can't do all of that. Not in the natural, because this is not super, this is not natural stuff we're talking about. This isn't philios or storge or eros. This is agape. And agape is a gift of God. And so when you look at those things and get intimidated, that's a good thing. Because it's impossible for us to live these things out in our natural life. We can do sort of facsimiles of those things, but we can't really exhibit these qualities without the, the life of God inside of us as John reminded us in 1 John 4, without the love of God inside of us, as so many different passages, but particularly this one, show us. So again, it's not working harder. It's not becoming better. In fact, the Apostle Paul at the end of his life said, it's no longer I but Christ who lives in me. So the more we let the power of God in Jesus Christ live in us, the more that this love is going to look like those kind of things. And then the next thing Paul says is, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Over the years, when I've heard pastors preach about this this particular text or preach through this particular text, I've heard them say, every time you see the word love, you should put your name in there. So in verse 7, I would say, Chris never gives up, Chris never loses faith, Chris is always hopeful, and Chris endures through every circumstance. That's a bald-faced lie. (laughs) I don't. I don't do those things, not in the natural. In fact, I'm I'm not trying to pick on other pastors. I'm simply saying that I'm not going to tell you to put your name in there. What I'm going to tell us to do is to put love in there because that agape love is the only thing that does these things all the time, is consistent doing these things. And we can have those things in our lives only in the supernatural way of being born again. Jesus said the change is so radical, it's called being born again. Paul called it being coming new creatures. And when that happens, our lives start to change from the inside out. So Paul wasn't saying these things trying to frustrate us. Paul wasn't saying these things knowing that we could never do them. He was saying these things knowing that only when 
Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in our life, will these things start to happen as we let the Holy Spirit lead us more and more and more? And that's God's plan. That isn't, that isn't something that's, you know, pie in the sky in the by and by. That's for here and now in our lives. So the next thing Paul reminded us is that love is eternal. Love is eternal. He wrote this. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless or it will cease. But love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when full understanding comes, these partial things will become useless. I could say so much about that particular, I mean I could do a whole message on just that. But what Paul is saying is Jesus is coming back someday. And when Jesus comes back, we're not going to need prophecy anymore, obviously. He's going to be right there in front of us. We're not going to need speaking in tongues anymore because there's only going to be one language and we're all going to understand it. My Cuban pastor friends tell me it's going to be Spanish. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, But in any case, there's going to be one language. We're all going to understand it. But even in that situation, when Jesus comes back and everything's restored the way it was always created to be, love will be here. Agape will be actually still the central reality of our lives. Both in earth and heaven, love is eternal. And then finally, Paul tells us that faith, hope, and love, all three of these, faith, hope, and love, are all eternal. But the greatest one is love. Paul wrote it this way. He said, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So Paul helps us to see that our lives as Jesus' followers are intended to mature. Think about it. When Paul said, when I was a child, what happened when I was a child? I spoke, I thought, and I reasoned like a child. That's great. I mean, when we're children, we ought to think, reason, and speak as children. But over time, we grow up. And Paul is not just talking physically here. He's talking spiritually, especially spiritually. But think about it. When a baby is born physically... And actually, we, we've, we have some babies here in, in church today, and we do every week, and I love that. Look at that little baby. That little baby can't talk. Can that baby talk there? No, Chase. Right. Can't talk. The baby can't walk. I mean, look at all the stuff the baby can't do. But in three years, the baby will be able to talk. The baby will be able to walk. And a few years after that, the baby will go to school. The baby will go to high school. The baby will go to college. I'm not trying to get that life that quickly, but it does seem to happen that quickly. And then the baby will get married and have a baby. That's how it happens physically. And you can't stop that process. Naturally speaking, that's what happens. But here's the thing. Paul is talking supernaturally. And he's saying supernaturally, when we're born again, we're babies. Spiritually, we're babies. And we're supposed to grow up again. And we're supposed to grow up, for the first time, I should say, spiritually. And we should become more mature year by year, day by day, really. Month by month, year by year, decade by decade. We should become more and more like Jesus, especially in how we live out agape towards others. Now, I'm going to say something right now. It's going to seem maybe a little strong, but, but I, I mean it in love, in the agape love that we're talking about here today. And here it is. Sometimes when people say, I've been a follower of Jesus for 20 years, what they really mean is I've been a follower of Jesus one year, 20 times. Let me explain. I've had people say to me, I've been following Jesus for 20 years, but then when I talk to them, they they don't know anything about the Bible. They they don't pray any kind of prayers other than like, now I lay me down to sleep. Nothing wrong with that if you're a baby in the Lord, right? 
They, they, they have emotional problems that they've never addressed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and all of us have some of these things going on, right? But what I'm saying is, over time, we ought to have a better understanding of the Bible. We ought to have a fuller understanding of what prayer is, that conversation with God. We ought to have a deeper desire to be in fellowship with other believers. All the things that happen as we grow up as followers of Jesus. But some people, they just get saved and they just live the same life. I'm saved. I'm going to go to heaven when I die but they don't even think about how does the Bible impact my daily life. They don't read it, so how could it impact if you don't read it? And, and so over time, it's just one, the same year over, and it's like Groundhog Day, you know? You just live that same thing over and over and over and over again, but you never grow up. And, and so God plans for us to grow up, spiritually speaking. And how do we know if we are? Well, we have to ask ourselves every now and then, am I more patient and kind than I was last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago? Because that's not natural, it's supernatural. Do I take less offense when people offend me now than I did last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago? Because that's not natural, it's supernatural. You know, do I endure whatever comes my way? Because that's what love does, but it's not natural, it's supernatural. And so am I more, more able to endure the... The, the storms of life now than I was a year ago or, or 10 years ago. Because as we grow, we will be different. And different in a, in a kind of way that we're more like Jesus. Not in a kind of way that we become more self-righteous, that look at me, I'm better than you. That's the opposite of growing as followers of Jesus. Because the more like Jesus we become, the more attractive we become to others. And that's another thing. Do people like us? Do they like to hang out with us? And certainly the gospel is an offense, a stumbling block, but true love, agape love for others, when I show selfless love for somebody else, they're going to receive that and they're going to take it in. So let's go back to Peter. I said we were going at the end of the message, come back to Peter. Remember, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And, and he says, yes, Lord, I phileos you. So Jesus wants to see reflected in Peter's life the love that he has shared with Peter, but Peter can't do it at that point. Now here's what happened. Jesus went back to heaven, and then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to the church, and Peter was one of the ones, the first 120 believers who received the Holy Spirit, and Peter's life grew and matured in the Spirit because the Spirit of God was living in his life. And one day, we don't know exactly when, but one day, many years later, Peter wrote a couple of letters that are still uh, preserved for us in the New Testament. And this was, is what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. You, that's everybody listening, everybody reading this document, you love him, that is Jesus. You love Jesus, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. So, you want to guess what word is used for love there? Agape. Peter says, you agape Jesus, even though you've never seen him. I've seen him. And Peter could have said, you know, I used to know Jesus and I used to love him in a Phileos kind of way. Back whenever I lived with him, day in and day out for three years, I saw him perform miracles. I, saw, I heard his teaching firsthand and I, I, I watched him be crucified for me and then I watched, him, I, I watched him alive after he rose from the dead and he had this conversation with me and all I could say in that moment was, Jesus, I have Phileos for you, but now I have agape for Jesus and so do you. 
because you trust him. You see, that's what it says in the passage, that when we trust or have faith in Jesus, over time, we develop agape for him. And that agape grows and grows and grows and grows. That's the plan. That's the intention. It starts with a little bit of faith. Because somebody says, you know, in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, which was the first passage we talked about on Easter Day, in which I already quoted, it says this, if you confess or say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So how much belief do we have to have in our heart to be saved? Not very much. It just takes a little bit of faith. It doesn't take a lot of faith because this much faith in Jesus will save us. Over time, our faith grows, our hope grows, our love grows. But at the beginning, it's just a, it's just a mustard seed. Jesus used that illustration, right? If we have faith as a grain of mustard seed. So it doesn't take much faith to bring salvation into our lives. And so if you're here today and maybe you're watching online and you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, you've never had faith that God raised him from the dead. You've never said, Jesus, you are my Lord. You're my Savior. And Savior simply means saves us from sin and death. That's what salvation is. Freedom from sin and death. And a right one day to live with Jesus forever. If you've never done that, today would be the best day to do it. A couple weeks ago, somebody said to me, you know, Pastor Chris, you don't really, you always tell people that they need to know Jesus, but you don't really always say that you need to do it today because you might not have tomorrow. And she was adamant and she said, you know, I had a cousin and he was a teenager and he told me he was going to trust Jesus when he was old. And then he was in a car accident and he died and he never got to trust Jesus. And after going through what I've been going through with my family, with Cheryl, you know, thankfully, Cheryl knew Jesus for a long time. But if she didn't know Jesus, she would say, you know, I'll do it someday. Someday is over for her. We don't know when the day is. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just saying the truth, that today's the best day to say, Jesus, you are Lord. You are owner. You're master in my life. And, and I believe that God raised you from the dead, and I want you to live inside of me, as it says in 1 John chapter 4. And I want this new life that starts, you know, very small and grows and grows and grows over time. I want that. And if you do that, then your life is forever changed from this moment forward. And many of us have already done that. Many of us have already done that. And so all of us, whether you're starting today or whether you've been doing it for years, here's the um, commitment for today. We always want to go out with something to do, right? And here it is. I will anchor my life in Jesus' love. I can guarantee you, all of us, something today. We will face a storm this week. It might be a small one. It might be a big one. I don't know what size it's gonna be, but I know we're gonna have one. And whatever size it is, with the anchor of the resurrection of Jesus, faith, hope, and love, we will be able to endure whatever the trial is. And the greatest thing about the love of Jesus that he gives to us is that we get to share it with people. And when we share the love of Jesus with people, it helps them to also experience Jesus. It's been said many, many times that sometimes we might be the only Bible some people will ever read. In other words, our lives, the way we live in the agape of Jesus is gonna be the thing that makes all the difference for someone. And I hope that's true for each of us this week. But right now, let's just pause and pray and thank God for his agape and for the opportunity to share it. Let's pray. Heavenly, God, Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for who you are. As John told us, you are love, agape. And thank you for extending that to us. 
no matter what the condition of our life is right now, whether we've never trusted you or whether we've known you for decades. God, we thank you that you want to give us more and more of that love. And God, we pray that we would receive it, that by your Holy Spirit, we would be filled to overflowing with your agape and that we would share it with our family, with our friends, with those where we're in school, attending school together or working together. And even those people that really frustrate us, God, we pray that we would share that selfless love that you have first shared with us so that everybody in our sphere of influence would know the joy and the truth of your salvation and the anchor in every storm of life that we will face. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.